0: 850-BABY W262CP Bayonet Point WTBN Pinellas Park Portions of this hour have been pre-recorded for broadcast at this time. Up next is Verse by Verse Sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries
1: So if you've made it a point to take revenge as somebody said somebody I was reading this week said this lay down those guns, your Wild West days are over. They're over. Some of us are real gunslingers. We've been doing it so long, and we carry it into the Christian life. The new man does not live like that. Leave your hurts with the Lord, and he'll take care of the people who have wronged you. Is this not what Jesus did? It says in 1 Peter 2, when he was hit and he was insulted, he did not strike back, but he entrusted himself to the one who judges righteously.
0: Hi, I'm Jerry Pruden. You are listening to Verse by Verse, a daily Bible study led by Pastor Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. For a few weeks now, we have been learning from the example of an amazing man, King David. Many things about this man of God are remarkable, not the least of which is that even though the jealous King Saul chased him through the desert for years, trying to track him down and kill him, David never sought retaliation even when Saul was asleep and alone with David and his men. When everyone around him urged David to take his revenge, David trusted God to even the score. In fact, as we have been learning, David actually sought to be reconciled to King Saul. Now here's Pastor Steve to conclude a two-part message on retaliation. We are in 1 Samuel 24, so if you have your Bible with you, let's get ready for the class to begin
1: a man in New York City drank some clam chowder that was rather hot. In fact, it was so hot that it burned his esophagus and it permanently damaged it. This is a true story, by the way. I wouldn't make anything like this up. It damaged it to the point that it was impossible now for him to swallow. Now, that's a problem because you've got to swallow to get the food down to your stomach. So his doctors decided that the only way... Uh, for him to take in food was for them to cut out a portion of his stomach lining so that he could put food directly into his stomach and bypass his esophagus. Not a pretty story, but it is a true story. Uh, Now, this doesn't do much for uh, appreciating the taste of food, but an interesting medical phenomena occurred when they did this. When they did this, the doctors now were able to observe how this man's emotions affected his digestion because they could peer directly into his stomach. And when they did this, they discovered that this man's stomach lining would swell and the acid level would rise abruptly when he was angry and stressed out and, uh, and, and bitter towards another person. In other words, as they peered into this man's stomach, they actually saw an ulcer occurring. They saw an ulcer developing, the making of an ulcer due to stressful relationships with people. I wonder this morning if the uh, lining of your stomach could be observed. What we, would, uh, what we would see, would we see a stomach that's red from uh, stressed out situations, anger with people, red too many times? Somebody on the verge of an ulcer because of um, difficult conflicts with other people? If ever there was a Bible character that you would expect to develop an ulcer over conflicts with an individual, it would be King David. We've been studying the life of David for several weeks now, and we have seen that um, David is in the midst of a real conflict. And you can turn your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 24. That's where we're going to be. David was in the midst of a real conflict that lasted about 10 years in his life. The present king was Saul. Saul was a jealous, insecure man saul was a man who was threatened by david's popularity david was the chosen king to replace him and saul was extremely jealous over david so saul decided to do away with david and he tried to kill him destroy him and this resulted in david being driven from his home being a fugitive he is the next king he is the anointed one he is the chosen one he is perhaps the most godly individual living in israel at the time and yet he's he's having to live on the run for about ten years, but one incredible day, David is presented with a golden opportunity to kill his adversary and We began a study on this last week, and uh, we want to continue it david is uh, is in a is in a cave with about six hundred men. And in 1 Samuel chapter 24, it says that Saul went into that cave, not knowing that David was there. It was very dark. It was in En Gedi, which is an area in Israel with a lot of caves and caverns. And he went in there, quite frankly, to go to the bathroom. And uh, then he must have taken a little nap. And David's men said to him, go get him. This is what God has done. He's put him, he's put your adversary within your reach, take a sword. Kill him right now. And David refused to do that. Why did he do that? Because David knew better. David knew what the Word of God taught. And 1 Samuel 24 dramatizes for us the way every believer in Christ is supposed to respond to his enemies. He refuses to retaliate, even if you feel like doing it. And I don't know any person who doesn't feel like it, but we refuse to retaliate, we refuse to strike back, we refuse to get even. Even when others around us, like 600 men, are saying, go get him. Now, you and I will probably never find ourselves running from a king. So I think it's very easy for us to say, well, of course David did that. We would do the same thing. Who would kill Saul knowing all of that? Well, a lot of people would have killed Saul. A lot of people. And we say, well, I would never have done that. Yeah, right. I don't think so. But we do find ourselves in situations, maybe not running from a king like Saul, but we find ourselves in situations where we really would like to strike back people who criticize us. Ladies, how about that mother-in-law of yours who might criticize you and you're cooking? How dare you marry her son? You're not good enough for, for him. And she tells all of her friends that. That's someone you'd like to strike back at. Or how about that boss of yours who never compliments you, instead he only finds faults with you? He only uh, tells you all the things you're doing wrong, never encourages you. Uh, You might want to strike back with a few choice words, but you don't because you want to keep your your job, but you say it in your mind. There are all kinds of situations like that, at people we'd like to get even with, and we're all tempted to seek revenge. I'll fix him. I'll give him what's coming to him. I'll give him a piece of my mind. Uh, He needs to be taught a lesson, and I've discovered that I'm going to be his teacher. I'm going to do it. So in stark contrast to this, David shows us that when we're tempted to retaliate, we don't have to. We can refuse it. We don't have to do what's wrong, what our flesh dictates. And in 1 Samuel 24, we're given, as I see this passage, we're given three principles about key principles, biblical principles, about refusing to retaliate even when we feel like it. Last week we looked at two. This week we'll finish it up, Lord willing, and look at the third. The first principle is resist the pressure to retaliate. David had pressure on him. 600 men saying, kill him. And yet David didn't do that. Now you may not have 600 people, but you have your own flesh that says do it. You have perhaps family members that say do it. You have every right to do it. You deserve better than this. Uh, sometimes even well-meaning Christians will give you the wrong advice on revenge. They cheated you out of money, so you go and you get them and you take them to court and all that. Uh, Resist that pressure. David did. If he did it, you can too. You have the Spirit of God within you. Secondly, the principle says, repent of any form of retaliation. We read in 1 Samuel 24, we went over this last week, that David did not kill him, but David cut off a little bit of Saul's robe while he was napping. And yet David was smitten in his conscience about that. And we might think, well, why? It's just a little piece of the robe. Why? Because it's an affront to the king's dignity. You don't do that to a king. You don't cut off a robe. You, and I told you last week, it'd be like tearing the president of the United States tie, ripping his shirt out because he dared to raise your taxes. You don't do that. You don't do that. David uh, repented of this because he knew that it was wrong to retaliate in any form. It was an attack against God's authority over him. Saul was the anointed of the Lord, and David was deeply affected by that. So the principle is this. Any form of revenge, whether it be an attitude, uh, not saying saying hi to somebody in the hallways because they didn't say hi to you, sarcasm, avoidance. Well, I'll just avoid them. Any, any of those things, or I'll just say uh, something that's true, but a little biting in my comments. Any form of retaliation is wrong. It needs to be repented of. But David didn't leave it there because you've not really obeyed God fully in, in uh, refusing to retaliate with an enemy just because you didn't get even. You know how we know that? A lot of non-Christians do that. Non-Christians Uh, can do that too and not retaliate. So there must be something that the Bible says a believer should do even beyond what a non-Christian can do. And that's the third principle. And the principle is this, seek to reconcile in place of retaliation. Seek to reconcile, okay? If you're at 1 Samuel chapter 24, let's break in at verse 8. This is where we left off last week. Now afterward, David arose and went out of the cave and called after Saul, saying, "My lord, the king." And when Saul looked behind him, David bowed with his face to the ground and prostrated himself. After Saul woke up from his little nap, he left the cave to rejoin his many, a three thousand choice soldiers, with him. And David followed him out. Remember, Saul doesn't know David's right, right there. David follows Saul out in order to prove to Saul that he's innocent of the charges brought. Against him. And here's the conversation, verses 9 through 15. David said to Saul, Why do you listen to the words of men, saying, Behold, David seeks to harm you. Behold, this day your eyes have seen that the Lord had given you today into my hand in the cave, and some said to kill you. But my eye had pity on you, and I said, I will not stretch out my hand against my Lord, for he is the Lord's anointed. Now, my father, and remember, he calls him not only father out of respect, he's actually his son in law. He's married to the king's daughter. He said, My father, see indeed. Uh, he said, Now, my father, see. Indeed, see the edge of your robe in my hand. For in that I cut off the edge of your robe and did not kill you, no one perceived that there is no evil or rebellion in my hands. And I have not sinned against you, though you are lying in wait for my life to take it. May the Lord judge between you and me, and may the Lord avenge on me, me on you rather, but my hand shall not be against you. As the proverb, the ancients say, out of the wicked comes forth wickedness, but my hand shall not be against you. And after whom has the king of Israel come out? Whom are you pursuing? A dead dog, a single flea? The Lord therefore be judge and decide between you and me. And may he see and plead my cause and deliver me from your hand. Now with these words, David seeks to be reconciled with Saul. And, uh, David informed Saul of what has happened, that he had the opportunity to kill the king, but he didn't. Why? Because contrary to what others are telling Saul, David has no ill will against Saul. He doesn't want to hurt him. He's not after him. Now, that is the gist of the message here. Saul, I don't want to hurt you. And I had an opportunity to do that, and I didn't do that. And so um, I, I want to be reconciled with you. I don't want to harm you. And the proof of this is this torn, torn garment I hold in my hand, it belongs to you, and it could have been your head. And that that is the gist of what he said. But we want to go beyond the gist, and we want to look a little bit deeper and discover in David's words and actions some really key biblical truths on attempting to be reconciled with an enemy. Every one of us here has someone that that we need or will need or have needed to in the past be reconciled to. This is very, very practical. If we don't finish it today, we'll we'll pick it up next week because this is really important. Folks, this is where we're at. And too few Christians know or apply if they do know these truths. So the first thing that we need to notice, something that's rather obvious, but I'll bet a lot of Christians have just overlooked it, is that David is even making an effort to be reconciled. After how rotten Saul has been to him, David is making an effort to be reconciled and, and what a tremendous truth that is. He's making an effort. The Bible teaches, and mark this down, the Bible teaches that as a Christian, you and I have the responsibility to try to be at peace with everybody. To try to be at peace with everyone. Keep your place in 1 Samuel 24, and if you'll turn over to Romans, we're going we're to go back and forth between Romans chapter 12 and 1 Samuel 24. In Romans chapter 12, we have the theology of what was lived out in, in David's life. Because you may wonder, where does the Bible say and teach that we are, to be, we are to seek reconciliation with everyone we have a conflict with? Well, it says it in Romans chapter 12, verse 18. David just illustrates that, but it teaches it in Romans 12. Paul writes, Romans 12, verse 18, If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. That's a tremendous, tremendous verse. And by the way, this falls smack in the context and center of Paul uh, teaching the Romans to not seek revenge toward an enemy. It's the same context. Notice verse 17. Never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Respect what's right in the sight of all men. Then verse 19, never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave uh, room for the wrath of God, for it's written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. So we're not pulling anything out of context. The Apostle Paul taught in the New Testament, that we are to seek to be at peace with all people, if possible. Now, uh, what what is this saying? It's saying, first of all, it's not always possible to be at peace. Paul said, if possible. With some people, it's not possible to be at peace. But the verse in Romans teaches us that we're to make every effort to be at peace. With some people, they won't receive it. They'll be hard hearted. And you don't want to, by the way, conclude from this. Well, I know what they'll say, so I'm not going to go to them. No, the Bible does not teach avoidance as much as we would like it to teach that. If you have a conflict with someone, the Bible says that it's your responsibility to go to them and try to work it out. If you've offended somebody, Matthew chapter five says, go be reconciled. If someone has offended you, Matthew 18 says, you go and tell them. And, and this verse says, go and pursue peace with, with uh, those you have a conflict with. As I said, not always possible, but regardless of how the other person responds, it is our responsibility, or we are sinning if we don't do this, our responsibility before God to do all that you can to bring about peace. Now, a question that we need to ask ourselves is this, how far do you go to get peace? And, and I think this is very important. You do everything you can to keep peace except compromise the word of God. It is not peace at any cost. It is not peace at the cost of righteousness. If, if peace causes you to violate the Word of God, then you just can't have peace. You try, but you just can't have peace. Never seek peace at the expense of righteousness. Don't avoid conflict if it means sacrificing the truth. It's not peace at any price. But we are to try to seek peace if, if it's within the confines of the Word of God. So, what are some of the ways that David sought peace with Saul, because the way he approached it is the way we should approach it. I want you to know you should not be in an an irreconcilable situation with somebody. You ought to make every attempt to get that straightened out. So let's see what David did several steps to arrive at peace. Notice verse nine. David said to Saul, why do you listen to the words of men saying, behold, David seeks to harm you? We might be inclined to pass over that verse, but this is very important. The first step in David's attempt to get things right with Saul was this. Here's the truth. Clearly communicating. Clear communication. He gives Saul the benefit of the doubt, and David does not throw the blame at Saul for this conflict. He says, I put the blame on others who are telling you evil things about me. I don't believe it's your fault. Saul, you've been misinformed. You've been told by those closest to you lies about me that I'm trying to harm you. They're slandering me by provoking you and telling you that I seek your life. Saul, that's not true. That's a lie. Now, from David's approach, I want you to know this is a tremendous, tremendous uh, truth, a critical New Testament truth in action. Conflicts can never be resolved unless there's honest communication. Ephesians chapter 4, you ought to mark this down. Ephesians 4 verse 15 says, Speaking the truth in love, we're to grow up into him. You are to speak the truth in love. Ephesians 4 verse 25 says, The old man spoke falsehood. That is, before you were a Christian, you lied, you misled people, you deceived people. It's probably such a way of life that you didn't think twice about it, you exaggerated, you gave the wrong impression, but the new man, the Christian, does not speak falsehood, he speaks the truth. He speaks the truth. Remember this, that Satan is the accuser of the brethren, not only before God, but he accuses one one of us before each other. We need to be reminded of this. More conflicts develop with Christians over miscommunication than probably anything else. Well, I heard he said this about me. Well, why don't you go and find out if he said it about you? Maybe you heard it out of context. Listen, miscommunication. Don't believe what people tell you about what someone else said about you. It may not be true. And yet you build a whole case about this. If someone has been saying erroneous things about you, then open your mouth and go to them and talk. And if there's a conflict between somebody, you know somebody's been hurt, then you tell that person, you go to the person who's hurt you and talk. I can't tell you how many times I've taught this, and still I know people don't, don't do this. They tell somebody else, well, someone else said this, and somebody else is hurting it. What are you telling them for? They're not part of the problem or the solution. That's called slander. Go to the, the source. Go to the person that you've had a conflict with. Try to clarify the matter. It is amazing how many things can be resolved when you sit down and talk. Oh, you misunderstood. I, I didn't say that. Oh, I thought you did. I thought you did. You know, people can be mad at each other for years because they thought that something was said and it wasn't. I've had somebody, I've had people say to me, I've been annoyed at you because you said that. No, I didn't say this. Oh, someone said you said that. No, I didn't say that. Oh, well, and if we open their stomach, they might have, you know, little lining that was bleeding unnecessarily. And that happens a lot. So, the first thing that you need to do, and it's so simple, but it's so overlooked, to get things straightened out, sit down and talk and deal with the facts, not hearsay. That's what David did. He said, Saul, let me tell you the truth. Now, you say, but that's awkward. I know it's awkward god didn 't say it wouldn 't be awkward, but it 's the right thing to do because that 's how you resolve conflicts. You never resolve conflicts by by avoiding them. You deal with them. The second thing that that uh, David did to try to get things straightened out was Saul first, it was just open, honest communication, talking. The second thing is he did good to to david uh, to Saul rather notice he tried to prove to Saul that that It wasn't just uh, him talking that he wanted to do good. He actually proved to him that he had only good intentions for him. Notice verses 10 and 11. "Behold, uh, Behold, this day your eyes have seen that the Lord had given you today into my hand in the cave. And some said to kill you, but my eye had pity on you. And I said, I will not stretch out my hand against my Lord, for he is the Lord's anointed. Now my father, uh, see, indeed, see the edge of your robe in my hand, for in that I cut off the edge of your robe and did not kill you, know and perceive that there is no evil or rebellion in my hands, and I have not sinned against you, though you are lying in wait for my life to take it. That's a little jab at Saul, but it was the truth. Now this is a very critical issue. In seeking to be reconciled with someone who's hurt you, and listen to this, mark it well, It is not enough to refrain from retaliating. It's not enough. Anybody can do that. Lots of people do that. The Bible tells us to take it a step further and do something good for the person who has caused you to suffer. Now, I don't know uh, why that's neglected in the church. We don't hear much about it. It goes against our grain. Maybe that's why we don't hear about it. It's not something you necessarily feel like doing. But David did this, and I'm going to back it up with the New Testament. David did this. David told Saul about the good thing he did for him. You know what the good thing he did for Saul was? He didn't kill him. I'd say that's a great thing, you do that for somebody. I cut off a little bit of your outfit. I didn't cut your head off. I didn't rip your heart out. That's good. And later on, notice verse 21 and 22. Saul says to David, now swear to me by the Lord that you will not cut off my descendants after me and that you'll not destroy my name from my father's household. And David swore to Saul, and Saul went to his home, but David and his men went up to the stronghold. What that means is, is Saul said, promise me after I'm gone, you'll not destroy my family. And David, David kept his word. There was a crippled boy named Ephibosheth who uh, David took, uh, took care of. There were others who David took care of and uh, he kept his word that's a good thing to do saul said i don't want my name or my descendants being erased from the face of the earth i want to be remembered i don't think he knew that he was going to be recorded in the bible and we'd all remember saul for his rottenness but he told david he asked him to promise this, and david did something good he didn't kill him and later he promised to keep his descendants take care of them
0: david was indeed a great example but just as we saw there are plenty of good examples around us of godly people who choose not to retaliate. There is no reason why we cannot also set similar examples. Thanks for joining us today for Verse by Verse. Pastor Steve Kreloff is our teacher and is in the midst of a series of studies concerning the life of King David. Pastor Steve has been the teaching pastor for more than 27 years at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. These daily Bible classes of the year are developed from his pulpit messages and are produced by Verse by Verse Ministries. You'll find us on the web at radio, all one word, dot once saw a sign on a toolbox that said, Don't lose your temper here. We don't have time to help you find it. Anger and retaliation.